All right, welcome to Old School. Jank Uger, David Schuster, Ben Glebe. Uh, we're gonna have a very, um, I was gonna say very standard old school. How's that for the worst tease in American history? Uh, this <laughs> show will be standard. Um, so uh, in terms of, we will talk about how crazy I am. That'll be starting up in a second. Is COVID over? Uh, controversy, we'll talk about it. Uh, here on the Joe Rogan podcast, I'm just kidding, kidding. No, no ivermectin for anyone on this podcast. Uh, and then, um, and then, if you were in Congress, what is the perk you would most look forward to? Fun. Mm. Okay. So all that's coming up. Uh, also, standard uh, two strong coffee uh, plug here. Twostrongcoffee.com/tyt. Uh, this is how I kick Republican ass. Okay. I, I load up on this, I cover my face with this mug, and then I go to work, okay? So uh, if you see me amped up on air, it is this delicious coffee uh, that gives money to progressive causes, thereby getting me excited in several ways, uh, twostrongcoffee.com slash TYT. Uh, and it's also standard old school in that we will not promote amazing shows that Ben Glebe is on, uh, okay, or has put together. Because the guy never stops working. Put uh, so David, of course, is uh, uh, king of rebel headquarters. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so the my mom has gotten to you again, Jenk. The fact of the matter is, the Rebel HQ, and I'll do the I'll I'll do the promo. Rebel HQ is growing, and one of the reasons that we know that it's growing is because Ben is going to start doing some videos for Rebel HQ in a couple of weeks. So I mean, this this thing is taking off. Yes, this is correct. There what you. a plug! I like now. My mom's gotten to you guys. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. So, slight delay when we promised we'd be starting, but starting a, a second or second week probably in April, I will be doing multiple videos every week for Rebel HQ with a comedic spin. I'm very excited about it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so here comes Ben Gleam. <laughs> okay. Otherwise known as the Cavalry. Um, so everybody check out Rebel Headquarters. Dave's already killing it there. Adrian, so many others doing great, great job on there. Um, so, uh, but that's not all. With Ben Gleeb, it's never all, okay? It's always more. So now you're doing a show with John Cleese. Uh, not a big deal, but just a bit of a legend. Um, I wonder, I wonder where I can get tickets. And it would be at nowherecomedyclub.com. That's an old school. Uh, reference. All right, can anyone name the movie uh, that has John Cleese in it that I just referenced? Oh, where can I get tickets? The, that phrase. I wonder. I wonder why I can get the tickets. Ooh, it is not a Monty know. Python movie, so I'm just giving you a huge hint. That narrows it down enormously. A fish called Wanda. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Oh, very good. <laughs> Thank you very Wanda, much. Who's Wanda? I wonder. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, when she walk when he walks in, they're trying to cover that Wanda's there. Got yeah. it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, the the legend is coming to the Nowhere Comedy Club studios in my home this Friday. We did it two weeks ago, and he had the time of his life. We gave a live interactive comedy show to the world. Anyone on earth watching this now can get a ticket to it at nowherecomedyclub.com. And John Cleese will be in studio with me and his hilarious daughter Camilla Cleese. And it's at five Pacific, eight Eastern, and it's a whole new comedy show. It's not just him talking with you. We have silly games, interactive segments. We'll make fun of you in your own home. John will take some questions. There's a VIP meet and greet afterwards. It was one of the highlights of my life getting to do this show last week with him next to me, touching legs. We were touching legs accidentally on kind of the cramped studio, 
and it will be happening again this Friday. So I really hope people go right now and get tickets. Right now they're still $15, they go up to $20 in a day. So you should get them right now, probably after oh midnight. Oh my God, it's time to panic, guys. And then, you know, I've never met John Cleese, but I've heard that he's a, he's actually a really nice guy. I mean, was he was he as engaging as everybody says? Literally the most down to earth, hmm. lovely person. He's 82 and he's sharp as a tack. Um, one of the first things he said to me off camera, he said, you know, I'm staying over the hill there and in the Bel Air area, and it's quite cool over there. And I said, John, have you considered sleeping inside? To which he replied, well, of course I have, but it's much more expensive. <laughs> He's just the so greatest. I, I love John Cleese, and I love him so much that, um, and I, I don't know if people would find that surprising. Uh, and maybe because John is kind of a, a, a kind of a smart comedian. And I'm obviously a meathead, so that's why people might be slightly surprised by it. But I, but I love John Cleese, and and to the point where he had a comment the other day that people played as controversial, and mm -hmm. they played it as if it was like a little bit more right wing, right? And and I was like, first of all, right out of the bat, I don't believe it. He he's too smart and too funny uh, to 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 think that. And then I read the comment, and I was like, no, nah, I knew it. It's not what they said. It's not what the headline said at all. Right, uh, so but even if it was, I instantly would have pardoned him. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, he's he's an old guy who likes to stir the pot for sure, and uh, and he does it though in a way that's I think an equal opportunity offender, and he always is just somebody who loves to challenge cultural norms. But that person was so clearly in, in need of a story because. They were on a comedy panel where literally everyone was saying absurd, crazy things and trying to outdo each other. And you can't take statements during a panel when someone's trying to be funny and take it as though it's a serious political statement or whatever. So people like to take things far out of context these days, and it's annoying. You know what? It's I almost um, that's it. I'm writing down a topic. We're coming back to that one, okay? Uh, because, <laughs> um, because we've never been taken out of context. <laughs> so no, no, I'm on the warpath on this in like the most bizarre way, which is really usually how I go on a warpath. Um, like I, I, Michael Shore is running for Congress. I just interviewed him. You guys will get to see it if you're watching us live today on Old School. You get to see it tomorrow on Tuesday at 5:30 p.m. So check that out. Uh, and um, and it reminded me, uh, of course, of, of me running for Congress and. And I could have run for this seat. It's it's in my district, right? <laughs> this one actually would have been in my district. Uh, but I told you guys I don't want to run again. And there I proved it. I mean, it it opened up. It was totally possible. And I love that Michael's running. Um, but it reminded me of the absurdities of my race. And there's one thing that I didn't emphasize at all back then that I'm now stuck on. And I want to come back to that in a little bit. Okay. Like I can't believe it happened. And and we all, all of us just kind of grazed by it. Like we didn't pause on it much. But when I come back to it, you're gonna be like, yeah, wait a minute, that is insane, right? Oh, I but can't wait till we that. swing back to it then because I've got things to say too. So we're, we started with a weird intro, but now we are uh, teasing yeah. things quite, quite well, I think. A lot and of I'm, And I'm dying to know, Jack, and I hope I'm not, you know, jumping the gun here, but I mean, what advice did you give Michael or what advice did he seek from you and like what lessons learned? I mean, because, He's he's yeah he's never run he hasn't run for political office I don't know since like junior high school. <laughs> that's true that's true. Uh, so 
Well, the, the funny thing is our races are almost not at all applicable, right? Uh, but I will tell you the, the main secret to politics that I told him and, and now you guys will get to all know it too. Oh no, his competitors could watch this and they would also know it. Uh, this is real, you know, but we're gonna take risks here on old school tonight. Uh, but I, I come back to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> but but David, when I ran, I was out, out of the district. I'm a talk show host, loud, aggressive, and 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 so many things. And the Democratic Party had already made up their mind and they had a single candidate and, and they did not want me in the race, so they hated me. It was just, it was so different than any other race. Michael is in a fairly standard race. There's a number of people running. None of them stand out as having a big name or big career or any of that, right? Uh, there is no handpicked candidate. It's wide open. He could definitely win it. Sureforcongress.com. That's with an H. Sureforcongress.com. Uh, and and so, so that's why it's such apples and oranges. There weren't a lot of great crossover lessons. But but the one uh, lesson that that is a crossover and it applies to every candidate is that. The media decides the election, pretty yeah. much, period. Um, yep. So canvassing, sure, I love canvassing. We got a whole campaign on tyt.com slash canvas2022. And, and I think it's good for movement building and it could help with one to three points, which will be critical in a ra close race. But, uh, and, and I can go on and on about all of the other factors, but really 90% of the ball game is media. So if yeah. the media calls you credible and legitimate and says positive things about you, you're in the ball game, 100% in the ball game. If they put you in the last paragraph and say, Michael, sure, also running, uh, you know, radical from TYT, <laughs> uh, right? Then he's toast. He has yeah. almost no chance of recovering. Uh, so you might yeah. think that's extreme. It's not at all extreme. It's definitely how it works. It sounds like Ben's about to agree with me, so I want to get out of the way. Go, agree. Absolutely. No, I com completely agree. As you know, I ran for national office and it's even more true there. They just completely decide who gets considered to be a real candidate, who is even can be part of the conversation, which is the opposite of what it should be in a democracy. But it has become a very powerful and pretty corrupt fourth estate in many ways. And so there's that major problem. But also coming up today on Old School, one of us will end up dead. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I had my two cents to the Michael Shore thought, and that was, I, I mean, I was, I was so flattered and humbled. Like, I love Michael Shore. He and I have been friends for a long time, and I was, you know, he and I reconnected a couple of weeks ago, and he told me he was thinking about this. I said, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody, but here's my advice: go for it and have the time of your life. Just have fun. Everybody that I know, yeah, and I, know, yeah, I think and you, I were, think you, you were, fall into this category. Though your race was was pretty brutal in many ways, but everybody that I know that has gone for it has been so glad that they did. They had a great time meeting people. They had a great time putting together some sort of team. Uh, being part of the process was was awesome, and it's such a unique experience that I mean, even a friend of mine who ran for you know some local city council in a town nobody's ever heard of, he said he loved it. He loved the race, and he got crushed. So my advice to Michael Schur was just go have a good time, be yourself, enjoy yourself. People will enjoy being around you and you never know. And I just also, one of the great benefits of being here in front of a TYT audience is you just know there's a higher caliber of intelligence because when you said a moment ago, Jenk, that the website is sureforcongress.com with an H, 
on a normal show, people would be saying, where do you put an H in Congress? And it's not fun <laughs> when you're talking to people whose brains don't work so good. Um, so uh, David, I have to be honest with you, um, my race was not at all fun. Uh, <laughs> Darn. And Darn. so, and there was a couple of reasons why it wasn't fun. Uh, one was the obvious, like the, the media just beat the living shit up, my, crap out of me, uh, and just called me every name in the book. In fact, that's one of the things we're gonna talk about in a second, because that's the thing I'm stuck on. And one of those things, it's the the the, the most absurd, right? Um, uh, but but actually, that was not the primary reason, because I like a fight. You don't look if if um, to Ben's point, if they had given us equal coverage. And said, hey, everybody in the 25th district in California, you're now gonna watch Jenk versus the other candidates, major or non-major, doesn't matter, right? And and then at, at the end, we'll vote. Okay. And but in the meanwhile, the media is gonna heckle Jenk. And they're gonna call him all sorts of names, and you're not gonna know if it's true or not true. Okay. I still would have won, right? That that's that's that and that would have been fun. I like a fight. I'll take six against one, I'll take 13 against one, I'll take the whole media against me. The problem is what Ben alluded to, they take the mic away, right? In his case, they just took the mic away so he nobody ever heard, right? Um, so, I mean, how can you win if no one knows you're running, right? And in my case, they smeared the bejesus out of me and then took the mic away. So like, one, I couldn't come on our show because of legal reasons, etc., and just keep, Saying stuff over and over again. I could only come on as a candidate or as a host, but not both. It's a long story, right? So I couldn't push my campaign very much on TYT, ironically. Um, but but it's, that's not. But the most important thing is what are the people of the 25th district in that case hearing, right? And and so I was always going to get the five percent of the district that that watches TYT because five percent of every district watches TYT. So then the question was, can I get beyond that? And the press, I've said this too many times now, but one of my favorite times was the LA Times because of its absurdity, where the guy says, "Oh, we're going to write this article. We're going to say you're sexist, racist, all these crazy, insane things." He asked the question at the end, "Is it true that you're attracted to women?" <laughs> right? And then, and then I say to him, "Hey, are you guys ever going to write about this race again and talk about policy instead of these like insane accusations?" And he's like, no, probably not. And that right there is politics. And so, but knowing I mean, that, and if yeah. you had to, you had to do it all over again. And somebody said, look, it would be exactly if you knew in advance you were going to have to go through the ringer like this, and you knew in advance that of course the media is going to decide this thing that you're not going to really have much control over the outcome. And and you know, Ben, same for you. If you knew, given the you know specifics of your race and the challenges that you had. If you knew in advance you were gonna face that, would you have still done it? Because my hunch is as miserable as the experience may have been and as painful as it is to lose anything and losing a political race, there's still value that I think you both saw in having gone for it. Um, I'm gonna let Jen get into that first. Yeah, so in answering that, I'm gonna go back and finish the thought though. As, as horrific as the media treatment of me was, it was not the worst part. The worst part was my, constant stress that I had to deliver for the people who gave me money five bucks at a time when they weren't sure that they could afford the five bucks, right? And and that's a much big, like some 
person who's wealthy gives you a couple thousand dollars, you deeply, deeply appreciate it, right? But they're gonna be all right. When someone gives you 10 bucks, that's when you're like, well, they didn't have 15, right? So, and so you, I felt an enormous, unbelievable pressure to deliver for those folks. Mm. So that goes towards answering your question, David. So I, I like, I worked every nanosecond of the race, and I felt like if I wasn't working every nanosecond, I wasn't being fair to the people who believed in me and gave their money, etc. Right? Um, would I do it over again? Uh, there's two giant things there. One, on the upside of the race, I, I learned that media lesson, which I didn't, it's it's kind of funny, right? Because I work in media, I run a media company, and I've been following politics for, for 20 years, and you think I should have known. But honestly, no one knows. If you go to Washington right now and you say, and media is 90% of the ball game, they'll say, oh, you're crazy, no way. No, you're exaggerating, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's this, 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 and it's a complicated matrix. It ain't a complicated matrix. Media decides almost every election, okay? And so learning that lesson was invaluable. So I'd almost have to do it just to be able to learn that absolutely critical lesson, right? On the other hand, um, I didn't win, and and given uh, what the media did, there was, in hindsight, no chance I could win. Uh, I couldn't take people's money to run a race that I thought I couldn't win. So I know it's kind of not really what you're asking, but by definition, that would knock me out, and I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> okay, um, Ben, if you if if you had never run before, and somebody handed you a crystal ball and said, okay, here's what you're going to go through, and here's what the outcome is going to be, would you still have done it? I, I would still have done in this case, but just for a few reasons. One, I'm a comedian and we make bad decisions that hurt ourselves oftentimes. And two, uh, the more real reason is because I knew the odds of me running and winning the presidency were not high, but I felt that I could not live with myself if I didn't try just because it seemed like such an existential tipping point for our nation and I needed to help alter the narrative a little bit. And a big part of why I did it was in the hopes that if I were to get the nomination, I'd be able to go head to head against the orange monster and beat him on a debate level because he's a heckler, I'm a comedian. And I would have been able to hopefully take down some of his bravado that he achieves through like insult humor basically and make those points. But I was able to achieve that because it opened some doors for me where I was able to through some back channel ways, give that advice directly to his campaign on his debate strategy that wouldn't have been open to me otherwise. And so to some degree that, and then I thought Biden came up pretty strong in those last debates against Trump. And so I think that made it all very worthwhile. But to Jenk's point, taking people's money yeah. um, while, while you know perhaps they didn't realize how rigged a smaller race like Jenk's was, and so they believe, but I think people realized probably that I was not likely to win and they were doing it to support the cause and this greater issue. And so I didn't feel so terrible, but when people give you money that they are hard, that it's hard earned and you have to call them and ask for it, 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 it really puts quite an onus on you that you cannot take lightly if you care at all about the people that you're trying to help. So, and it just made me more clear than anything that what we really have to commit to 
almost more than running for office is reforming the system, oh, getting yeah. the corruption out, getting the money out of politics and so that it can become more of a fair game. So people don't, so good people don't ever wanna run because as I think you can see from Jenk and I, yes, we would do it again most likely, but not a resounding instant yes. And it's sad that the one thing running for office teaches you is that you don't wanna run for office again. <laughs> proves how messed up this system is. By the way, the bad guys don't mind it at all. Like they exactly. live in that swamp and they kind of like it. Um, and and funny enough, it's a preview of the interview tomorrow. Um, uh, very first thing Michael said was, uh, "Man, I would end the private financing of elections." He's like, "This is brutal and ridiculous." Uh, and and it. By the way, if I didn't have to do it because of the show, and you guys, the the viewers are wonderful, and and they financed me in a way that I didn't have to call wealthy people 24 seven, but almost every other candidate does, even if they're progressive. Yeah. And and one of the things Michael said is, you're just nonstop talking to wealthy people then. That's not, no. that's not healthy for democracy, that's crazy for democracy. And it completely backs up again, like Jenk said, the, the, the bad guys love it. That's their life goal is let me hobnob with more rich people and this will lead to great contacts afterwards. Then will invite me to parties on their boats that'll probably they can then get seized in the future when, when things go down a different way. I mean, that's their goal and I couldn't have hated it more with a passion. There were nice people I spoke to who were down to help a cause, but to have to spend, I never spent anywhere near the, they literally tell you you have to spend five to six hours a day, every day, half of your day on the phone raising money and people in Congress have to spend half of their time every day during their terms raising money. At least when you win, they should figure some way that you can only fundraise during a certain window of time. And that's true for all candidates. It's insane, that is so broken. They're, they're admitting they spend less than half their time even possibly working on their job and what they're there to do. And of course, nobody can spend all of your possible time doing something. It's wild. Now we got to send more people to go fix it, like Michael's trying to do. Um, and because this is just, and the fact that the media doesn't acknowledge that it's insane is 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 also part of the madness. Um, all right. So uh, without further ado, I found uh, the New York Times uh, article in the paragraph about about me that I wanted to share with you guys. Now uh, they later inserted sarcastically when uh, in regards to my. Uh, David Duke comment uh, be after taking a lot of flack and they issued a correction. Uh, that's not the main part that I want to talk about in this case, but I'll read you the original version without the word sarcastic in it, and then I'll tell you what I want to focus on. Um, so this is what they wrote uh, when I was running for Congress. Mr. Uger, a longtime supporter of Mr. Sanders, has also disparaged former President Barack Obama on his show, argued that bestiality should be legal, and hosted white supremacist figures, including David Duke. In one clip that circulated on Twitter, Mr. Duke ends an interview by saying, I'm not what you call racist, to which Mr. Yuga replies, no, of course not. Okay, now you guys know me. In <laughs> every way, is that, I mean, how is that not like the biggest slander you have ever heard in your life? <laughs> I mean, look, to me, it sounds like somebody who works for the New York Times who I don't know, maybe just got a job at the New York Times last week and is being trying to convince their editors that, oh, yeah, I'm a hard hitting journalist and I'm going to get this guy. And somebody says, oh, yeah, and here, take a look at this clip. And they don't really look at a clip, they just look at the transcript and, like, oh, I got him, I got him, I got this Jenk Uger guy. Um, it sounds like it was written by complete 
novice and rookie who is simply trying to impress their boss at the New York Times for some whatever reason. Um, anybody who has done even an ounce of homework, Jenk, who actually looked at that clip, who actually watched any of your shows, would never have written that. But that's the problem, is I think too much of what happens on the New York Times in terms of how they treat particularly progressive causes, progressive institutions, they don't bother to do the homework on it. They don't bother to actually invest the amount of time that they invest in some of the investigation work that they might do for of a, of a White House of any administration. No, they just simply are so lazy and take make such great assumptions, particularly about progressives, um, that anybody who actually lives in the progressive world looks at it and says, this is the New York Times, really? Yeah. So look, and and sarcasm does not come through obviously in print, which is one of the major reasons print is dead. And so they they just it's so it's much easier in black and white to castigate somebody without any sort of in-depth analysis or any sort of attempt, like David said, to to look into who the person really is. I mean, you're perhaps the most progressive person I know, and the way they described you is the complete opposite of that. I sometimes I'm afraid if I even mention things that are borderline, not uber right, uber left progressive around you for fear of angering you. Not that you get angry, but it's my own <laughs> internal fear. So you're not exactly a sexist, pro bestiality, racist endorser. Right. So look, <laughs> it, it, so the, the obvious parts of it are, uh, am I, do I support white supremacists? Look at me, okay? <laughs> and, and if you watch one minute of the Young Turks, you know, no, no, no. This guy might be a little too harsh against white supremacists, okay? So the, that part is obvious. They say he's disparaged former President Barack Obama as if, like with no context. You can't tell, is it right wing, left wing? Well, he likes white supremacists, so I guess he hates Obama as a right winger. I mean, it's just, it's the worst journalism you've ever seen. But not, but that's not what I got stuck on. She wrote with a straight face. Argued that bestiality should be legal. Like Ben, what? like so obviously she took they took a clip where I was joking and we've gone over this a couple times already on the air, so I don't want to bore people. But you know, it's a joke about a this guy Rodell used to have sex with horses. He was in love with one particular one. He gave the horse a venereal disease. It was a funny story, and then I said, you know, hey, look, if the horse is receiving, is he's not exactly going to say nay, right? And right, and then but the New York Times made it seem like it was on my platform. Not only was I not joking, but they wrote it as one of the serious issues. Like, oh, by the way, this progressive would like to legalize sex with horses. Oh, and I'm moving on. It's just like an ellipse. It's right. like, well, like. Did the, did the reporter though ever, or a fact checker or an editor ever call you and say, hey, we wanna understand some things that we're putting in this story? Because I, I, you know, I know lots of people who have reported, who have who have helped the New York Times in lots of different stories, whether it's inside media stories, whether it's you know the the Me Too movement stories that the New York Times and the Washington Post worked on, in which somebody that I know helped out in, in in an allegation that was made against an executive. The fact checking that went in, and the number of revisions, and the number of people who called and said, "Well, what about this?" And do you remember this circumstance and this detail? It made me proud of journalism because of how responsible they felt and trying to be absolutely sure they were perfect 100% correct on the facts. Did they even attempt, Jenk, to call you and say, explain this to me? Or did this really have, what was the context? Or can you send us the clip or take me through this? Yeah, so I've 
I've been interviewed, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of times in my career. And and that kind of aggressive fact checking has happened maybe twice mm-hmm. out of several hundred, right? And that's good. When I when I have somebody doing that, I think, oh, we got a real journalist here. That's great, right? Um, so the person who wrote this is Jennifer Medina. Um, did she do any of that? No. Uh, so she, we did talk about the David Duke interview. That's why I was furious about it. Because I said, watch the clip and you will see, I call him a racist, an anti-Semite, a bigot, an idiot over and over again in the interview, right? And she said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm going to. But she never did, she never did watch the clip. Either she never watched it or she, or worse yet, she watched it and thought, nah, I'm gonna screw this guy. I'm gonna pretend that he wants to get to Congress and legalize sex with sheep, like like seriously. And then I'm gonna say he's associated with white supremacists. I mean, it was just the yeah. biggest butcher job uh, that anybody's ever done. And but on the issue of bestiality, she didn't even ask me. I mean, I mean, how do you even ask with a straight face? Like, or how do you not ask? How do you not ask? And David, to the, to your point, I think if I'm the editor and I read this, like, you sure? You sure? I mean, the heart of the story is Bernie Sanders retracting his endorsement, but he endorsed him in the first place. Bernie Sanders endorsed a guy in favor of legalizing bestiality. Are you sure? Did you ask him? Did you watch the clip? Right? Nope. Apparently, there are no editors at the New York Times. Stunning. Right. And and that's the big problem too with people taking jokes seriously these days. People don't understand the concept of gallows humor. They don't understand the concept of humor generally. You can tell an inappropriate joke if you can tell someone's heart is in the right place. And somebody is just telling you a street joke. It's a street joke for the funniness of the absurdity of the contrast, of the absurdity of the world you're creating. That's what comedy is. It's playing with taboos and being flippant with them and being silly. That's different than even a comedian in in a special saying something very serious that presents seriously a uneducated and unevolved point of view, that's different. You're telling literally a knock knock joke or a, a guy had sex with a horse joke. You're just being a silly idiot for a minute and you're allowed in life to say stupid silly things and not have them ripped out of context. It makes comedy very scary. Being a comedian makes me very brave, makes me very brave to still be doing this. That's why I brought it up because we were talking about John Cleese and and how he told a joke in that context. They took him out of context, etc. Right, and and it's a super long way of saying, like, how do you even do comedy anymore? Because it is like you know people are obsessed with the cancel culture part of it, but I don't even think that's the biggest part. I think the biggest part is like if you ever try to do anything real in your life, they're gonna have a two thousand things to smear you with, like and. And like I, the other day, I was going to say something on air, and I was like, even though it's the most obvious joke in the world, I'm not going to say it because mm-hmm. later they'll pretend I wasn't joking. And I mean, you saw it; <laughs> they, that's what they literally do. And yeah. so it's just kind of it. It makes it. It almost makes having fun near impossible. It's true, but to answer your question, how do you even do comedy anymore? I mean, the only answer I can offer you is one of the masters is gonna be doing a show with me this Friday. And you can get a ticket and see it happen live and learn yourself <laughs> how it can still be done. There's a path, 
but you make headlines sometimes too. It's Cleese, leave me alone. My name's in the title of a show with John Cleese. I don't know how I got that to happen, but holy moly, that is an exciting moment in my life. All right, there you go, nowherecomedyclub.com. Okay, I wanna power through some comments real quick and then I wanna get to some of the stories that we promised you guys. Greg is a member on YouTube, so a bit of an American hero. You can join him by hitting the join button below. He wrote in, hey guys, can't believe it's been another year. Right there with you, brother. It's been two years, by the way, since COVID started. That's one of our topics in a second. Northern Ice Dragon said, I never catch old school. Tonight I do, and it's Jank, Dave, and Ben. Wow. Oh, apparently we're a wow trio. So God bless on that. That was on Twitch. Dino Boyer writes in, 18 month anniversary on old school. How fitting TYT is my news go to. Irish Tantrum 73 says, No word of a lie. Old school has saved me so many terrible Mondays. Thank you. Okay, I oh, love Jake. It. You just said that Irish people throw tantrums. You just said it on the air. <laughs> Not okay. Well, now, by the way, I didn't read you the earlier part of that New York Times piece where they said I was anti-Muslim and anti-Jewish. <laughs> uh, so. Well, hold on, hold on a second. If you're quoting a piece that is slanderous and libelous about you, you then said those words. You just did it again, Jenk. You just again said you're anti-Muslim and anti-Jewish. You said it out loud. He said it. He said it on air. We have it on tape. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, Bread into toast said one more thing, Columbo, but also Jenk. Uh, that's old school reference to pull out a Columbo reference. That's why I read it. Nice job. Uh, Ghost Dog TV said, "Run, Jank, run! You're crazy, dude. Dog, that's not gonna happen. Literally, you're crazy, Ghost Ghost Dog TV." And speaking <laughs> of Columbo, I had this just off camera. Look at this. I now have a full-on Columbo. Excuse me, ma'am. One more thing. I heard that Jank Uger's into dog stuff, horse stuff. Is that is that right, ma'am? Is that? I'm so sorry. I I left my cigarette somewhere. I. Sorry, Jenkins. <laughs> I mean, how do you have a Columbo like right. impersonation in your back pocket? Thank you very much. I just got the, and the Columbo jacket in my back pocket. I don't know how I pulled that off. It's more. I was gonna say the uh, the news anchor from Network. <laughs> That's right. I'm just tired of being judged. Don't you understand? I'm tired. Just sit on your coat. I don't want to. Oh, that's a good tip. That's good. Thank yeah, you, little Albert Brooks vibe. Uh, by the way, I do that all the time. I sit on the back of my jacket. That's a real tip in news. It is a good tip. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I like that Ben Gleam's like, oh, you need a 1978 TV reference. No problem. Hold on. I got a jacket for that. <laughs> You're almost um, born. I started listening. I started paying close attention. Yeah, yeah. Metal Chick 5 says, Ben and David, I love it already. Galfer 71 says, oh, and greetings and salutations, old farts, LOL. Hey, hey, hey. Just be anti racist in our member section says, I'm so ready for old school. Been a long day and I'm ready to sit back and relax. And then finally, Boomer Dragon Cat says, Ben, are you an actor as well as a comedian? You look a bit like Zelensky. Maybe you could parlay that into a role, SNL or something. Yeah, people keep telling me over the last few weeks that I look like Zelensky quite a bit, which is interesting, meaning that I'm the comedian that ran for president here. And his campaign worked out better than mine did. Although I guess now, who knows? Really, it depends what your perspective on what scenarios you want to be in charge of are. But uh, people have suggested I do videos as Zelensky uh, right now, and I'm trying to think of a way that would not be offensive to people. And so I'm considering it. But we need to figure. I've got the the army green shirt. 
And I just, I think it's more, more about how the world just seems impotent to stop this and him maybe pleading in a Ukrainian accent. Couldn't be acceptable and not offensive. But yes, I am an actor. I'm up for a big show right now. I will not tell you what show. I can't probably for like vibe and karma reasons, and probably I would be sued by the company. But uh, you can also watch my most recent acting role. I'm one of the lead roles, a guest starring role on the R.L. Stein show on Disney Plus called Just Beyond. The sixth episode called We Got Spirits. Yes, we do. I play a 1930s film star who dies in a fire. And I'm now a ghost haunting this theater. And I'm one of the leads of this episode and on the poster of the whole series. And it's nice and family friendly if you like that. You know, now that uh, uh, they said it, I can't unsee Zelensky in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some logic to it too, right? I think we talked in a previous episode about how your uh, family's from Eastern Europe at some point. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he's Jewish, you're Jewish. I see it. I see it. Okay, this is this could be a this could be a please a world community. I am not a Nazi. I am Jewish, so perhaps that makes no sense to you, and you can stop this war for no reason happening. This is a test of that character. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Good. So I, you know what? There's Ben. It's almost like you're a professional <laughs> <laughs> because the accent. I wouldn't have done the reverse words. You instantly went to flipping the words. And that's what a professional does. Thank you very much. Or much you think. <laughs> so yeah, no, you're right. I think we had a conversation about that on, on TYT today about how too soon on, on, on humor in regards to Ukraine, right? Because we're in the middle of it. And by the way, I mean, I said this at the end of last week, you know, we've all grown to love Zelensky. Uh, Helen Hong was talking about how she has a lady boner for him. Uh, and uh, I love he could still be killed. This is yeah. true. This is true. But but is it? And let's pray that does not happen. Of course, the man is yeah. is a hero that the world needs right now. But I don't know. Is it too soon for humor? I'll give you an example. There's a French comedian that I follow named Sebastian Marx. I I'm going to Paris soon, so I follow follow him, and I'm performing on his show when I'm there. And he posted a clip that I thought was certainly soon. But I thought was funny, I'll, I'll share the joke, tell me if you think it's funny or if it's too much. He says, we all saw the viral clip of the Ukrainian soldiers on this remote little island. And the Russian tanker was outside threatening, if you don't drop your weapons, we will bomb this island and kill all of you. And the guy leans into the mic and says, go F yourselves. And, and they killed them, which was heroic and inspiring to hear. But you gotta hope he checked in with the other 11 guys on the island first. If they yeah. were okay with him saying that or not. Yeah, good joke. So, so first of all, uh, that's why being a comedian is tough. It's yeah. always been tough, but I feel like it's particularly tough these days. And I that joke is clearly funny, and but I don't know if it's too soon. Uh, yeah, now the good news, telling it, I don't know. The good news, both in the real world and for the purpose of that joke, is that uh, they didn't die. Uh, it turns out, right? the, yeah, it turns out the Russians captured them. Uh, they did not kill them. Wow. So, yeah. But by the course, way, the reason they're why they're not the eating very funny, well right now, but that's that's a whole other issue. But that's you know. What's that, David? I was saying they're not eating very well. They're not eating very yeah. nice rations at this point. But that's. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the Russian troops aren't eating very well, <laughs> let alone <laughs> the Russian hostages, right? Uh, the hostages that the Russians took. Um, but uh, 
But the but the reason why the joke is funny and smart is because I thought the same thing when it actually happened. You know, he he talks to a woman there. He's like, right, should I? Person. Yeah, he says, should I tell them or something along those lines? And I thought to myself, I hope they checked in with the others, right? Uh-huh. Because that is a hell of a unilateral decision to make. Yes, um, it is. Yes, but it, it is. you could tell it seemed like the way that he asked the woman next to him. They had already decided. You see what I'm saying? Right. Sure. That they, that they were going to do that collectively. So, sure. But the world also needs to be able to joke about serious things. And also, if it weren't for being able to tell certain jokes, like a joke like that, otherwise, then a whole night at a comedy club is devoid completely of talking about the war and what's going on. And that's right. worse. It's okay to make a joke that then makes people think again, okay, we were able to laugh at that moment, but also how horrible what's going on. It's not good to create silos where you just feel like it's not worth it to talk about important things. And that's also why you have to give comedians and artists a little leeway to say uncomfortable things. Cuz you can't just lecture up there, you can't make a straight comment. You have to find some humor in what you say. And would you rather not that than no mention at all? And that's why I'd rather listen to a comedian who you know, maybe throws some caution to the wind and is not thinking about how this is gonna impact them two, three, five years down the road and is just doing it because they think it's funny or they think the audience is gonna think it's funny. And sure, is it inappropriate? Yeah, there might be some people who find it inappropriate, but society is gonna make those determinations about you, I think, regardless. And at a certain point, all of us with our craft, with our platforms have to say, you know what? This is important to me and I'm gonna talk about this or I'm gonna make somebody laugh just because that's who I am. And if society suddenly decides, oh, you David Schuster, because of what you said about you know Chelsea Clinton 11 years ago, you are banned from the mainstream media forever. Well, screw you then, so be it. Um, but you know what, I would say the exact same thing that I did 11 years ago. And I think then you would tell the same jokes and jank. I don't think you would change the way you've approached your shows over the years. And, and that's the point, we can't change. Society is gonna judge us one way or the other. And you can't change the past. That to me is the silliest thing about cancel culture is to try to cancel people for things said during a different era when there were different cultural norms based on today's norms is ridiculous. If somebody hasn't learned or if somebody said something maliciously or did something, of course. But if somebody said something during a time when that's what you had to say to get heard or that's what a common parlance was of the day, then it's insane to now, that's what delineates new eras is when things are no longer appropriate to say and do. I talk about this in my act a little bit. The joke is not great yet, but the point is specifically about everyone said and did inappropriate things. Do you not want the world to evolve just because older people are still alive? Like the Beatles, the Beatles, a genuine, a universally loved group, not particularly controversial. One of their bubblegum songs that is a hit, the lyrics are, you better run for your life if you can, little girl. Catch you with another man, that's the end. Little girl, they're threatening to kill a little girl that one of them is sleeping with. I don't know what that is. No one's like canceled the Beatles, but it, that the crowd was like singing along to it and happy. It's one of their happier tunes. So change it. Don't allow lyrics like that going forward and let the world evolve. But to go back and say the Beatles can't be listened to anymore, it just it's nonsensical. We lived in a different planet back then. Yeah. Uh, like Ted Nugent uh, has a song where he's like trying to have sex with his neighbor's daughter. Uh, and then Mike Huckabee came out there and they started jamming to it. And they're like, oh yeah, let's bring that little girl over to our house. He's like, no, no, 
<laughs> right? These guys are like right wing heroes. Anyways, um, so here I'm gonna do it. Um, I'm gonna tell you a sh- joke that Michael Schur told me. Uh, it was it, it, impromptu, not planned at all, as you'll see in the joke. It's obvious, right? And we'll see if we can get Michael in trouble. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> get him some press. Um, he's not gonna get in any trouble for having worked at. Oh, never mind. <laughs> and I was going to say the, the Al Jazeera thing or the I-24 thing or, you know, this. Yeah. So Mike, Michael's also Jewish, uh, so it's relevant for the uh, purpose of this story, okay? So uh, I I was on MSNBC and uh, and when I was on MSNBC, I was feted, okay? Uh, instantly, everyone in my life uh, respected me uh, because they had written me off. They're like, oh. Public access talk shows, online talk shows, YouTube star. Oh my God, like an immigrant's nightmare. Immigrant parents have like no interest in this. All my uncles and aunts are mortified, right? I get on MSNBC, all of a sudden, the Turkish community turns on a dime, okay? And also, they're like, oh, I knew it all along. The kid is smart, okay? He going to find a way to get on the TV business, okay? So, and you, the TV, they make a lot of money on TV, okay? <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so then the Turkish American groups got in on the act, and I got like four awards that, that year. That year, I was a consensus top 10 most important Turk in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year after I left MSNBC, and every year since then, haven't made the top 100. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, and then I got this hilarious award called the Golden Turk Award. I'm like, that what, Golden Turk? What is that? That's this is absurd. Okay. He is not only Turk, he is Golden Turk. Okay. And so uh, I happen to be telling uh, Michael, I'm like, oh, is that funny, man? I'm like, imagine if they had a Golden Jew Award. And Michael said, they do. It's called the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's really quick and on your feet. That was a hell of a joke on the spot, right? Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. And also, if it makes you feel any better, Jink, I've always considered you my golden Turk. <laughs> okay, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> um, here in our household, we talk about the golden turds, not golden Turks, but that's just, you know, <laughs> that's just the way our family rolls. Okay. uh. And also, people take a joke to mean that you're endorsing like the most negative possible side of the joke. Jokes can be commentary. You have to tell jokes in the first person for them to be funnier, for them to resonate as something that's happening and not like a secondhand story. And so that joke can be taken from so many angles. Do Jews control Hollywood? Are they are they making fun of that as a person telling the joke, saying it's okay, saying it's not okay? You don't know anything. You have a very limited amount of information hearing a joke. It's just it's playing on funny tropes. It's lighthearted. You laugh and you move on. It's not a declaration of war or anything, you know? The last serious thing I'll say then about that is that um look, so in that New York Times piece, and by the way, also LA Times, CNN, etc., they they all called me anti-Muslim, right? And and never mentioned that my background is Muslim. Uh, and so, if you tell the Michael Shore joke and you leave out the fact that he's Jewish, <laughs> that would be relevant to the freaking story, right? Yeah, that would yep. be unbelievable, right? 
I mean, that joke, if it's told by Michael is one thing, if it's told by David Duke, it's a completely different thing, right? And so that's why the lack of context in that in in their in the smear jobs that they did was just unreal, unreal. Um, all right, anyways, Critio Gid uh, Gidya, sorry for butchering your name, but you're wonderful uh, for donating on on YouTube. I appreciate it, and Sujan Myers as well. Guys, we're so short on time, so I'm gonna save the. Is is COVID done uh, for the members only? Uh, uh, episode we have a whole nother episode just like this one except we curse uh good reason uh, to join tyt.com slash join that's just for members but if you're watching on youtube you can hit the join button below okay tyt.com slash join but so i'll squeeze in the one absurd thing that i was going to theoretically start with 45 minutes ago um i love savoring things so much that i was just eating an old leftover pizza and i microwaved it you know when you microwave microwave leftover pizza, it, it, the crust gets kind of rubbery, right? And uh, and so I was like, ah, I don't want the crust. And I was like, ah, I can't help it. I'll have a tiny bit of the crust. And then as I was eating it, I was like, this is so plain. And I was like, oh, I got an idea. I'm gonna savor how plain it is. <laughs> okay, how crazy am I? Go. Wow. No, I like that. I mean, talk about being present um, and realizing that you don't have a choice except to embrace what you have and make the most of it. So good for you. You've spent a lot of time in therapy, Jenk, and you have done exceedingly well. 100%. <laughs> I think it's incredible to be able to make the best of a bad situation and enjoy every moment. That literally is some enlightened meditation type stuff you were doing with that very bland pizza crust. May I quickly say, uh, since we're talking about inappropriate jokes, how many LA Times reporters does it take to screw in a light bulb? You give up? Yeah. It's one million, and there's no way to confirm that number, but they did run with it anyway. They it did make print. <laughs> <laughs> See, instantly, boom, right there. <laughs> yeah, Ben Glebe, professional. Look it up in the book. <laughs>